2: Palmabet on the edge of the box. Oh, it's a straight up screamer! Download
1: our app today and enjoy straight up screamers this FIFA World Cup with great odds, great promos, and
2: same game multi at Palmerbet. Gamble responsibly. For gamblers' help, call 1 800 858 858. On 882 6BR, inspiring stories for Barra and O'Day, WA's family owned funeral directors. Hello, my name is Tim McMillan. Welcome
1: to another episode of Inspiring Stories, brought to you by Bower and O'Day, doing ordinary things extraordinarily well. Uh, My guest in this episode uh, is a community enthusiast and social capitalist. And I'll ask him exactly what that means in a moment. Uh, He was our Senior West Australian of the Year for 2017 and earlier this year uh, was awarded an OAM in the Queen's Birthday Honour. So it's a very warm welcome to... Peter Kenyon, Director of the Bank of Ideas as well, and Ideas uh, stands for something specific as well, which of course we'll ask him about, but hello Peter, how are you? Good morning Tim, great to be here. Thanks for your time. Um, A community enthusiast, I get that bit, and social capitalist, that's your kind of job title if you like, what does that mean?
0: Look, I'm a person who believes that probably after our own personal faith and our family, nothing matters more to me than this thing called community. Yep. Community is that sense of attachment that we have to, to people. And, and we belong to multiple communities. We belong to geographic communities. I belong to a street community. I belong to the community of Kalamunda. Um, but we also belong to a whole heap of other communities that are communities of interest. And I think the importance of community is it does give us a sense of identity, gives us a sense of connection, and above all it's that social connection that's so good for our health and for many other things. And I suppose what I'm interested in is how do we rebuild that sense of connection that we certainly seem to have been losing over a period of time? And I suppose I've just become so enthusiastic that at the end of the day, what does matter is community, not the latest government scheme, not who's going to do things for us, but what can we do to wrap this thing called around community, Mm. whether we're talking about suicide, depression... Youth unemployment—all of these are issues that community is the answer, yep. not collect someone else. And mm. so, to me, it's about trying to remind people of the importance of community and the importance that people play in that. That really, a, a true community, a strong community, is one where everyone matters, where everyone belongs, and everyone can contribute.
1: Yeah, we often talk about uh, a sense of community as something that's degraded with time, that we're losing uh, as time. Goes on, you're obviously trying to reverse that. Um, are you finding it more and more difficult as time goes on to get people to tap back into that sense of community?
0: Yes and no. Uh, I mean, the reality it just stated yes, we are losing a sense of uh, connection and community over a period of time, and the evidence and the research clearly tell us yep. that. There's an omnipole that happens most years, and us. People fundamentally set a set of questions about how many friends they have and their sense of uh, of connection to yep. to neighbours. And uh, the latest one came out that really showed that from about the mid nineteen eighties, we probably have four less friends that we can count. on what right? We did. Okay. Um, so there's that, a whole That's pile
1: that's really good, solid, reliable. Well, it is. in an emergency. And, yeah, and
0: yep. and uh, it's actually administered by a guy called Andrew Lee, who's written a book called Disconnect. He's did his PhD under the famous what we call uh, the godfather of social capital, Um, you know, and social capital refers to the sense Mm. of connection between us. Um, A guy called Robert Putnam out of Harvard, he did his PhD there. And then he came back and basically administered the same type of research that he did as a research student under under Putnam. And uh, he's the one who's basically giving us a lot of that statistical stuff. And he wrote a book called Disconnect and basically looked at what's happened since the 1950s through to the 2010s, and, and the reality is we are just not connecting like we used to. Whether yep. formally formally in, in organised sport, in religious life, within club organisation, with connection to the neighbour. And it's particularly the connection to the neighbour that's the one that yep. really, to me, has been shown to be yep. really just so important for our personal safety, for our personal health, and for many other good things.
1: What do you think is driving uh, the... Uh Decline in that sense of community. I mean, social media is probably the obvious one in, in the last ten years particularly. But sure. is it is it technology generally, and and I suppose also that, um, that fear of of going out and you know knocking about in the street like people used to do even a generation ago.
0: Look, I think it's both of those that yep. you mentioned. They certainly have contributed. Uh, Robert Putnam, when he did his famous study called Bowling Alone, which really captured this in an American context, he said if you have a look at the introduction of television back in the 60s, yep. you can see a systematic decline. You know, The 50s were the high, the high time for people volunteering, people connecting. And he said, you can see a systematic decline, and obviously social media, mm-hmm. where we now collect friends rather than have friends. We we collect, you know, uh, we watch neighbours, and we, instead
1: of, yeah. kind of like knowing yeah. the neighbour,
0: is is that reality? So we watch
1: them on CCTV. Yeah, that's <laughs> right.
0: So you know, the reality is those things do make a difference. Um, the way now fear, fear, uh, yeah. you know, uh, and particularly crime, and and the way particularly politicians use that. Who kind of like uh, galvanise kind of like public opinion. Yeah. I, I yeah. mean, fear has become a major issue. But there's been you're, oh, So
1: you're dealing with some pretty significant forces in the community, then, aren't you, that, that shape people's perspectives on well, on who their neighbours are?
0: Yeah, without a doubt. But let me just add that the other things that we've, we've discovered that really contribute to this decline are things like just our work lifestyles are different yeah. to what they were. You know, and really the the need for both members within, the, within, a, within a relationship to be out there working and so on in, in terms of uh, just needing to get, get by and, and that type of stuff. Issues to do, we have less kids than we've had before, and kids were a great mm. glue that kind of like bonded people. We now mm. have more pets in houses and we have children, and mm. children was often a way that you did connect with people in your neighbourhood through sport and all that type of stuff. We're, we're more mobile than ever. We move on average once every seven years. So there's that. We design houses that are not conducive to community living. You know, we we now develop whole neighbourhoods where you drive into your driveway, clicker a button, up goes the garage door, you drive in, yep. it comes down behind you, you walk into your house, through the garage, not even seeing the neighbours. Yeah, you We've shut yourself off. We've the deli. I could go yep. on, the, yep. the factors, but there are two other factors. One is, I think, the growth of individualism. Uh-huh. You know, the famous Margaret uh, Thatcher once said, there's no such thing as community, there's only families and individuals, and I think that... That's almost an ideology, and it's linked in with materialism, individualism, and and so on, and I think that's contributed. But I also think the way we've organized community. Today, we do things to and for people, and we call it community development. We Mm. employ professionals who come along. I'm saying if we want to really rebuild community we've got to begin to create space of what I call oven by the pe- people themselves yep. and so the role of community development people has got to change you know um governments and local governments state governments federal are great at doing things to and for people yep. they're not very good at creating space of oven by the people mm. and so even the way we organize under the the word community development has actually contributed to the decline it's been of corporatized community.
1: hasn't it mm. yeah um, when you go, I know you've you've been to several hundred communities around the country, around the world. Uh, you know, dozens of different countries. Um, if you go to a community that perhaps is is losing that sense and wants to uh, rejuvenate that sense of community uh, in its in its town or village or whatever it may be, um, and you say you go to meet them for the first time, you've got a couple of hours with them. I mean, how do you? Get your message to them in that short space of time? Are there common threads to what you say that apply to pretty much any community that you go into?
0: Yeah, look, every community is unique. Every community yeah. is different. You can't kind of like... We, we certainly don't have a cookie-cutter model that you yeah. just say, just follow this. There but company, there must be, there must be sort some, of fundamentals that are yeah, there's some common. some critical principles. That are there's not a one. recipe, but there's yeah. certainly principles. And, look, one of those is definitely mindset, is that belief, look, if it's to be, it's up to me type stuff, yeah. you know, stop waiting for the cavalry to turn up from Perth mm. or Canberra. You, who live here, need yep. to begin to take responsibility. Yep. Secondly... This is a collective thing. No one individual is going to turn around a community. But together, in terms of coming together for collective impact, we can actually start to do things. So how do we as a group of organisations and churches and chamber of commerce, local council, how do we start holding hands together in a collaborative way? Thirdly, it is about leadership. Um, I think that the most critical factor I've identified in towns reinventing themselves have certainly been the issue of leadership, that there have been a group of people willing to stand up, commit themselves, their time and often their own resources Mm. in simply making things happen. I often quote the wonderful example of that little town called Coolan out there in, in the Wheatbelt, where over a 25-year period, it's just reversed its fortunes. Yeah, yeah. I, I was lucky enough to be at that first meeting when this was all discussed. 289 people today... Population's probably pushing towards 600. It's doubled its population, whereas most towns around them have probably halved their population. How's it happened? Yep. I can say fundamentally, it's been about leadership, mindset, and being opportunist mm. in terms of grabbing the assets that they saw and doing something with it.
1: Just, just refresh people's memories. Uh, what has taken place there? Because I know this is, you know, one of your great success stories that you've been a part of isn't it, Peter? Tell us us what has now put Cullen on the map.
0: Look, I've been a very small part. I facilitated first meetings and I've been back and done a few health checks, but it's happened because people out there have made it happen. Um, They basically came together and decided they wanted to be no more a dot on the map, Mm -hmm. and they wanted to restore people's pride in the town, meaning they'd keep the kids at the local school. They wouldn't retire from the place when they moved off the farm, things like that. And so what they've done is put in place a whole pile of things. First place in WA to have a community bank because the bank closed down. They recognised not having a bank and the impact that would have on local businesses. The very first place to have a community bank over twenty four so years ago. So this
1: precedes the, the, the Bendigo Bank Well, no, it was uh, the first Bendigo Bank in WA. Right, okay. And so Good it was sure.
0: the very first one here in Western Australia, probably number four or five nationally. Yeah. You know, they some farmer out of pure altruism left uh, over a million dollars to improve sporting facilities. So what they did was build and got everyone to kind of like build the ultimate kind of like mm. sporting facility and then use the old facilities for other purposes. They also stupidly asked the young people, what do you reckon would make the place different? And they said a water slide. And so they used, they, <laughs> they discovered a, a secondhand water slide on the Sunshine Coast for sale for $25,000. Believe it or not, I think How, it was six how'd they farmers. they get it over here? Well, it apart farmers and... drove their trucks across the Is Ballymore, that right? Dismantled it, drove it back and assembled it. I mean, wow. that to me is community. <laughs> I mean, it is an amazing story. And it was really the highlight of the... Um, the uh, the Backroads program yep. on uh, the ABC just a couple of weeks ago, um, they have done stuff to their main street. They recognise that you don't get a second chance at mm. first impressions. They've just put effort into turning their main street into one of the best you've seen. Yep. They recognise they need an event to bring people in. And so yep. a local farmer gave them a peppercorn rental on a beautiful part of land that runs along a lake and now, and this will be the 25th anniversary this year of the Cool and Bush races. It's won national and state tourism awards. But what it does is bring a whole, you know, four to 8,000 people into the town over yep. a weekend. Um, just pumps um, uh, money into the local business community. community have an incredible time. Mm. Farmers then did this thing called all these amazing uh, tin horses as public art on mm. the drive out to it. And people suddenly started stopping and photographing. Mm. Well, we've got 40 or 50 of these. Imagine if we had 400 of them. And then they developed an alternative route to Wave Rock, right. recognising... They spent, I think, seven, eight years sealing the road to Wave Rock because realising people don't like... And what, the, the local community did This that. is the local community through its council. Right. And so on did the road bit. The local community have done the Tin Horse mm. Iceway. And what I love is they decided to, they wanted to call it the Tin Horse Highway. Well, you know, trying to get Main roads to do <laughs> something like that's so pushing a bit hard. But uh, they decide just to do it and then to invite the Premier, who at that time, if you remember his name, was Gallop, to come and open the Tin Horse Highway, the humour of it all. Listen, this is a town, and I've probably (laughs) given you about 30% of what they've pulled off, but an amazing town that has just done amazing things to kind of like achieve those two goals, be more than a dot on the map, and restore people's confidence and pride Mm. in their community. I just love going into the place, the Mm. spirit of the place, how it happened, as I said, Mindset, positive mindset, we can do it. Let's talk and, up and not talk and down. And doing it, just Leadership doing it. Leadership and also, can I say, being an opportunist. So I think yeah. opportunity obsession is an important characteristic. Yeah.
1: Uh, Peter, we need to take a break. After that, I want to ask you about uh, your bank of ideas, and I'll ask you what ideas oh, stands okay. for yep. in just a moment. This is Inspiring Stories uh, with Peter Kenyon, a director of the Bank of Ideas. We'll find
2: out what that is in a moment. You're listening to another Inspiring Story, brought to you by Barra and O'Day. This is Inspiring Stories with Tim McMillan on 882 6PR, brought to you by Barra and
1: O'Day. Welcome back to Inspiring Stories. Peter Kenyon is our special guest, community enthusiast, social capitalist. He was our West Australian of the Year in 2017 and now is officially OAM. Uh, awarded in this year's uh, Queen's Birthday Honours. Uh, Peter, Bank of Ideas. Uh, Tell us about the Bank of Ideas. What is it? It sounds like just a collection of ideas, but I know that ideas individually stands for something. Um, Talk us through it.
0: This, uh, we're coming into the 30th um, anniversary of the creation of the Bank of Ideas. It was created back in 1989 when, at that stage, I headed employment services in Western Australia. I was the Director of Employment, I suppose. I was young enough to feel, hang on, this isn't for me, Mm. to be a, um, a public servant. And I was increasingly becoming disillusioned with this belief that somehow we could build communities from the top. Yeah, and the, and and the outside in. I had this belief that the only way you built communities was from the inside out, and I made the decision to leave the public service and to start up this group called uh, the Bank of Ideas. Um, sorry at the time it was just called Ideas and Ideas is an acronym for initiatives for the development of enterprising action and strategies. Right. Um, Our first (laughs) projects were actually overseas I went to New Zealand to design their employment services and then I went to Namibia that had just become independent after their civil war to kind of like help create their Mm. ministry of youth and sport and, and start the work there. When I came back um, my wife, Pamela, and I had this dream that we wanted to move back into a country town, yep. we wanted uh, we love heritage, and so we decided to buy a, a lovely old historic homestead uh, bed and breakfast thing in the town of York
2: um, beautiful
0: I continued also though to drive this thing called the Ideas, and uh, up came the bank in the main street for sale. And I can remember uh, purchasing this as our offices to create the bank, uh, to create ideas. And as I'm signing the. the, um, the title deeds the real estate agent who sold it to us said Peter you now own a bank why don't you change the name to the Bank of Ideas and I thought wow that is a brilliant Genius. idea mm. and so we changed the name to the Bank of Ideas um, implying that really what it's all about is ideas you yep. know that communities and businesses live and die by their ideas so if yep. we could be a catalyst for the sharing of positive good stories, ideas and ways of doing things and I suppose that's what we Continued to do
1: Mm. I suppose uh, what you're doing kind of taps into so many other aspects of 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 what a government does for instance doesn't it? employment being one tourism being one I mean I suppose in a in a less obvious way health Um, so many different things tell me about your so your government background Then it's a director of employment uh, for WA is that your sort of what you would consider more of your sort of standard professional life prior to this
0: Probably not. I, I, um, I. My background was I was raised in a in a single parent family in a public housing estate just out of Frio, a place called Hilton Park. Yeah, um, which I've got the richest memories of, and probably it was what gave me that that, uh, absolute um, love of community. The Africans have a proverb that says it takes a village to raise the child. Well, I knew that. That was my experience. Being brought up in a single-parent family, I had this incredible neighborhood wrapped around Mm. me that really helped me. Um, through that, I got involved in uh, a church youth club and uh, and then I started to get involved more in youth work. And uh, And the only way I and, and my family could afford for me to go to, to university was to become a, a bonded teacher. And so I became part of the education department, right. which then meant I was bonded for an X period of time. So I did an honours degree in history. I love history and stories and that type of stuff. Um, but my first posting, because at the time I was the head of the Youth Affairs Council, I managed to upset the Director-General of Education and I suddenly found myself, instead of going to teach upper school history and economics at Melville High School, where I was Mm. actually working part-time as a youth worker for the council... I got posted to Denmark as the sportsmaster to oh, an agricultural college. Not the worst well, place in the world. Not by the any worst place. Beautiful I say, spot. I had the greatest yeah. year of my life. I, think. I can Much imagine. to the disappointment of that director general, I think. But uh, it actually, again, But had he not me. been there or something? It's, it's oh, spectacular. It is spectacular. And back mm. there you know in the early 70s it was just a fantastic yeah. place also yeah. to be and uh, it was just starting to evolve and grow into the place that we see today yeah. and so it gave me again that passion for small towns mm. and those uh, and uh, it i think it rekindled uh, you know my birth origins of a town called Marble Bar up there in the Pilbara so i think it gave me back that passion of um, of of small towns yeah. and uh, so that um and i then came back uh, and i worked um for a church-based group um, running programs supporting people at the frontier in youth work, uh, homelessness, unemployment, those issues. Uh, Then I had to go back to the ed department because I was always on secondment. And I then spent six years as a youth education officer in the high schools, three years at Applecross High School, three years at Rockingham, Um, working on school-to-work transition, running all the school camps, doing all the personal development. I had the best job in the high school. It was brilliant. I then went to the university um, and, and set up the youth work courses here in WA and the post-grad diplomas in career studies. And while I was there, the government changed. It was the uh, the Burke um, government that came in and their Minister for Employment asked me if I would design the state's employment strategy, mm. which I was seconded to do. And when I finished, they said, well, that looks good. Why don't you come and do it? And uh, what do you need? And I said, I only need 10 people. Nine have to come from outside the system, one in the side of the system, and that's the accountant who can yeah. look after us. Um, but I need nine people who understand how to uh, to do this thing called community building, and yeah. uh, we created what then was called the community employment uh, unit, uh, and then. Uh, It got all revamped and I found myself heading employment services in the state. So, no, I wasn't a public servant by design. I was probably a youth worker come teacher from background, but all of that contributed to where I am today. Mm. And every one of those experiences, including that time in government, showed me that even in government you can do things. Mm. I can just add one of our greatest achievements was to start up what's now the longest-running employment program in Australian history. It's called the New Enterprise Incentive Scheme. And we piloted, we came up with the idea, we got the feds to agree to it and it's where unemployed people had a good idea to start up a business could get the equivalent of the unemployment benefit for 12 months to start up their business. I I need to say 34 years on, that program still runs. This year, 7,000 unemployed people will be able to access it to start up a business. And we've seen over 180,000 businesses instigate in this country. And so you can do good things in government. I'm not a government, but (laughs) I recognise that you can do more outside because... This stuff is all about inside out. This is yep. all about community. Stop waiting for the cavalry and doing it for themselves. Yep.
1: could I ask you um about going from Marble Bar to Hilton park yeah um you mentioned that you you, you started your you know you very early years of life in, uh, in Marble Bar and then Hilton Park. Do you have memories of, uh, of Marble Bar? Not at all. Bar? I
0: mean, the conception happened there.
1: Right. Just my birth, uh,
0: I was brought down to so the, Perth. So the red dust the, is in the, the DNA yeah, the somewhere. The birth but... actually happened in uh, in, um, in Subiaco where most babies yeah. were born at that time. <laughs> and and, and all are. of that stuff. <laughs> yeah. And uh, my father was a, a gold miner. My mother was the nurse in the town. Right. Um, But, you know, sadly, um, you know, just before I was born was the last time my mother ever saw my father. Right. uh, So I went back and and lived with my grandparents, Mm. my mother's uh, parents, and she went back nursing and did everything she could to support me Mm. um, there. But uh, I always think I I got that red earth into my system. Mm. And and as I said, I certainly was not disappointed uh, Mm. with um, my upbringing. I have such rich memories. What was
1: so special about it? Was it just being able to? Be outside with lots of other kids, you know, mucking around after school, before school, you know, having neighbours who are almost, you know, in addition to the family. Is that what it was?
0: It was exactly that. Yeah. I think you've described it mm. exactly. You know, every night we were out in the street playing footy, cricket. Yeah. We, Operated kind of like as a street. Neighbours, if my, as I said, my mother was often working and having to do night duty and different other things, and and uh, and uh, my grandmother, who I was mm. living with at the time, was was quite elderly. Um, neighbours looked after us. Mm. Um, there was that local youth club, and I still remember these two guys. Um, who uh, Alec and Max, who just kind of like um, gave, were like older brothers to me, and and how what they did. I went to an amazing primary school. I went to uh, I went to Hemi Hill High School the first year it was open. I'll never forget Miss Guthrie and just the influence she had on me as a teacher. And then I went to Melville High School and had two great years there, a guy called Neil Tuckwell, who, again, just influenced me in terms of where I went. So, yeah, I I really had a dream world. Mm. Um, The interesting thing is I never knew whatever happened to my father. And uh, I ended up discovering after, as my mother was dying, because I never had conversations with her. It was just too hard and bitter. But... He went off and created probably one of the biggest uh, construction companies in the Southern Hemisphere oh, uh, called uh, Leighton's called Construction. Oh, yeah? Um, so I've heard of that. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah. Um, and lived a, a totally yeah. different life with racehorses and yeah. whatever. But you know what? I've never once hungered after any of that. No. I am so content with yeah. what I actually had. So thankful, so appreciative of the amazing upbringing. And what I try to do today, I can still see so much yep. of it comes back to my origins Yeah to those people, and those neighbours, those streets, yep. those, those schools, that actually invested so much in me. Yeah,
1: um, I want to ask you about sort of how to build a relationship with your neighbour, literally your next door neighbour. Because I reckon I'll, you know a lot of people listening to this right now probably don't even know the name of their next door neighbour, and I'm one of those. I'm, I'm sorry to say, uh, I don't know the names. I could I could wave to them. I don't actually know them. So, but I think the, for a lot of people, the idea of going and knocking on the door yep. and introducing themselves is kind of terrifying and weird, and they don't particularly want to do it. So yep. I want to ask you how, you how you tackle that. This is Inspiring Stories. Peter Kenyon is our special guest on 882 6 BR. Back with more in a moment.
2: You're listening to another inspiring story brought to you by Barra and O'Day. This is Inspiring Stories with Tim McMillan on 882 6PR. Brought to you by Barra and O'Day. Welcome back to Inspiring
1: Stories. Peter Kenyon is our special guest. Peter, I want to talk about how well we know our neighbours because I must say I I grew up uh, not far from where you now currently call home, up in the hills. Um, again, fantastic, idyllic upbringing. I, I knew all my neighbours on, on all sides. We didn't even have a back fence. I mean, it was kind of larger, bushy blocks. But I knew everyone, uh, on all corners and beyond, not just next door neighbours, but all up and down the street. Um, So many hours spent just, you know, roaming the streets for hours on our BMX bikes, or you know, playing cricket with whoever was around that day. Um, Nowadays, I'm sad to say, I don't, I don't know my neighbours at all. Don't know their names. uh, Have tried, had very limited interactions with them. You know, it hasn't really gone beyond a hello or a wave. And I'm guessing that. That's pretty common these days.
0: You're right. It is common. Um, Curtin University is, is stating that only 35% of people actually trust their neighbours. And according to the Citizens Advice Bureau, that's really because people don't know their neighbours. And yep. so the national figure is only one in three people can actually tell you the name of their neighbours on the side. Not many,
1: is it? Just to give you a name. Yeah. Yeah, right.
0: Just know, know the name of the neighbours. And, yeah, I think... Um, Again, I think it was Robert Putnam, the social capitalist that uh, we derived so much from, said, you know, the best way to start building a community is getting neighbour talking to neighbour. Yeah. And I suppose a lot of our work is, let's start there. Mm. Um, it's interesting, I, I've been part of the post-earthquake um, res- responses over the last 10 years in Christchurch since the earthquakes right. happened there. And it was interesting to listen to the current mayor saying, That what the research clearly shows, the people who coped the best on that day were not people who had a plan or had emergency supplies, but people who simply had good relationships with their neighbours. They are the ones who coped the best on the day and subsequently. Mm. And, And I suppose that's what I've discovered. Another figure that um, statistic uh, that your listeners may find interesting is that if you do know neighbours on either side, and you know the neighbours across the street and you're in regular conversation and mm. you know you go off to work at 8-ish in the morning, you're back at 5-ish yep. at night, you're reduced by about 80% your chance of being a victim of crime. 80%? 80%. Most people think crime is all due to how many people in blue and how many CTV cameras Today we have, in Britain, for example, there is one camera for every 14 people in the uh, yeah. CT. It, it hasn't crazy, worked. Yep. And we are n- more lonely than ever before. And it just seems to me that getting back to know the neighbour. And so, therefore, the thing like the street party yep. stuff, I think, is really important. In my community, a group of us came together and, found a group, uh, and f- formed a group for a couple of years called All We Need Is Right Here. And it was really all about social connection. And with the support of the wonderful um, Bendigo Bank there in Forestfield and the local IGA, we were able to give people a voucher that if they could have, you know, six people over for morning tea and afternoon tea or whatever, um, they could get one. If they invited the Mm. whole street, you can get two vouchers. We probably had about 80 street parties. What I discovered is really did we have less than 60% of people who didn't turn up, mm. who turned up? You know, it just required one person to initiate to it. Get the ball rolling. I'd often yep. have people saying, oh, only hubby and I might turn up. They'd be stunned that, you know, 80% of the street, people are waiting for someone else to take yeah. the initiative. And secondly, so many of them have repeated that as an ongoing thing. Um, I love the fact that the city of um, of um, of Quinana um, uh, have just produced a wonderful resource for their community called 62 Ways to Get to Know the Neighbour. And they're just 62 interesting ideas where neighbours can start. I might start need to get my hands on that. And so on. <laughs> yeah. And, and so on. I'll make sure I send you yeah. a copy. But, you know, to me, it is often about some of those fun things. We have a group called... Um, um, uh, street by Street, which yep. is based, of all things, in St Kilda in, in uh, Victoria. But they've produced resource kits for communities all over Australia yep. who just want to get the street connected once mm. again. And I believe that that is really the starting point for rebuilding mm. a whole neighbourhood, is Street by Street.
1: Yeah. Um, can I ask you, when you go to places overseas, I know you, um, you've spent a bit of time in Canada, um, dealing with communities there, particularly you know at the smaller end. Uh, what, less than a 1,000 people. Mm -hmm. Um, Do they have similar sorts of programs over there? It's probably not barbecue weather in northern Canada ever. but I don't know. Canadians party
0: well. Uh, They certainly do. Do
1: they they have almost identical sorts of issues there that we have with smaller communities here?
0: Yeah. uh, Look, I think of all countries, obviously New Zealand and Canada Mm. are the two that I find the easiest to relate to. I mean, we obviously share you know, similar colonial backgrounds and political systems in our chambers, as opposed to, say, America, where we still do a lot of work and we still get inspired by lots happening there. I tend to find Canada is easier to relate to because we have so much more in common. But, yeah, I think, again... People are really starting to use many of the same processes about how do we rebuild that sense of community? How do we rebuild that connection to the local economy? How do we get people supporting what's happening locally and all of that type of stuff? And uh, certainly I find it's a message that resonates there. Certainly my stories and illustrations out of this country always seem to go down well, and I probably find myself...
1: What are the stories that you you share with them then?
0: Well, I I, I just love to share them, real stories, real stories in small towns, neighbourhoods, Coulan. and
1: Coolan. Uh, what, what are the standout examples here that, that you share with them?
0: Well, I, I need to say Coolin and a town called Haydn, which are not yep. far apart would yep. have to be the two best stories I know in small town reinvention sure. anywhere in Australia. I say that and I I mentioned that to the, the former Minister for Regional Development the other day in Cambridge, and she never heard of him and i 'm saying yeah well, maybe that 's why you 're probably yeah. um, not having a lot of impact um, there 's some great stories and in every state and and through the through uh, um, I had many years uh, associated with that little town of bailing up down there mm. on the sand and you know when I first went there, it was a, it was this little timber town. Um, Um, that had grown out of a dairy town but has subsequently evolved into this wonderful artsy and sensor community. It's an amazing place. And there's a whole pile of examples Mm. like that, small and large, of of where people are actually doing things and trying to do Mm. it. Next week I'm in a place like Halls Creek where, again, community has suddenly become... People have suddenly become aware that you know waiting for responses from government to do things top down ain't the way. All of those little communities and those geo-Bellin communities out there towards Belgo, the ringer Soaks and the and the uh, um, Ballo- uh, Bella Lunas and, and Mullins. They are community, and what we've got to do is get people excited about how do we wrap community around our young people and around each other and what we can start to do. And, yep. and I'm starting to see this is a message that people are starting to understand actually works. Um, we do a lot of work in neighbourhoods, obviously. Uh, much easier, let me tell you, in a country town than many of the mm. the really boring neighbourhoods that we've created, but there's a, a lovely sense of warmth and whatever um, particularly the the city of uh, Mandurah under their new dynamic young mayor, probably the youngest mayor in Australia, who mm. just understands this stuff and has got people out there. And, and, you know, the whole council are moving towards a place-based approach rather than what I'd often refer to a silo approach, mm. where, you know, you employ a youth worker for the, for the city or whatever. Now people are being based out there. And their job is to facilitate connection,
2: mm. getting
0: people to build their own community. And that our job is not to do things to and for people, but to create space of often and yep. by the people. So I'm starting to see it's a message that people are gathering. Yep. <laughs> We've been lucky to do projects in 59 countries around the world, and I can say wow. whether it be... <clears throat> in Fiji, whether it be in Namibia or Botswana. I spent three years in and out of Ethiopia uh, and uh, Somalia. Somalia is a place that I think I had learnt you know, so much more about a sense of community. Despite it being just totally dysfunctional politically, they have a sense of community there that was just amazing in terms of how people connected. Yeah. So it's not a, a one-way street. I, you know, we, we are learning backwards and forwards but across the globe the one thing I know is that people yearn to connect. Yep. And it's through this thing called community we can make it happen. I
1: suppose while that yearning's still there, you've got to tap into it. Just before we get to a break, can I just say hypothetically, uh, just when you were talking about some of those WA uh, towns and communities, I thought of Collie. Obviously, they're going through a massive transition at the moment. Um, uh, Coal that's been such a part of the town, um, is, is gradually going to disappear. Um, how would you go about transitioning them into a thriving community? post-coal.
0: Yeah, well, uh, look, the first thing is to recognise there's been a whole pile of communities across this country that's had to transit out of a mining mm. uh, mindset, yep. uh, including coal. Yeah. And and probably, look, uh, one of the greatest examples, that is Newcastle yeah. and, and even Wollongong, two regional places so dependent almost totally on coal and then the steel industries, and they've had to reinvent themselves, and particularly both those places, amazing stories of mm. change, and particularly Newcastle the why it's actually uh um, um, actually reinvented itself. A whole pile of smaller towns mm. have had to say, you know what, um, and, uh, you know, we no longer are part of that future, part of that scenario. What is the, the, the starting point? And to me, the starting point always is get people focused on what they have got, not what they haven't got. The half full, not the half empty bit. The assets, not the deficiencies, the capacities, the opportunities. And to get people into what I call an asset mapping mind of starting to identify what are new possibilities. Yep. Now, I'm not a, I'm, I'm, Collie's not a place I know well. But, you know, it sits in a stunning part of the state. It's got great location. It's got great history, including a mining uh, coal, kind of like history. What is it we can start to do with that? And what is it we can do with the amazing assets we've got there in terms of buildings, organisations, institutions? And to me, it's about getting people focused on possibility, not the problem. Yeah. So that's the starting point.
1: There you go. Hopefully the people of Collie were tuning in for those words of wisdom from you, Peter. Uh, we need to take a break. This is WA's Inspiring Stories. Peter Kenyon is our special guest. 882 6 br
2: back with more soon. You're listening to another inspiring story brought to you by Barra and O'Day. This is Inspiring Stories with Tim McMillan on 882 6 br. Brought to you by Barra and O'Day. Welcome back to
1: Inspiring Stories. Tim McMillan is my name. My special guest is Peter Kenyon. We're talking about how to reinvigorate uh, communities uh, and and what are the things that are being done, uh, well, here in WA, Australia, all over the world. And uh, Peter Kenyon is an an absolute expert. Peter, so many times now, I think when people do go out of the city and go on holiday or visit someone in a a regional area, you want to get there as quick as you can. And um, people cry out for... Better, faster links um and i'm just reflecting on my own uh travels we as a family went down to the southwest a lot uh i think now of all the places that we used to go through to get from a to b that we don't now because you just fly down on a you know on a freeway or a highway um then how do you how do you uh, if you're one of those small towns how do you get yourself back on the map if you're no longer getting that traffic going through it all the time
0: yeah, look. I think the two critical things is you've got to have a point of difference that yeah. will actually force people, and secondly, people can't afford to be disappointed. You don't get a second chance at first yeah. impressions, and certainly, lots of our country towns are pretty ugly. I can tell you, they yeah. need to do something that actually uh, a actually does something about that main street. So it, it, they need a wow factor, mm. and and so that's one of the things we often work on. But how do you get them off the highway in the first place? Can I just give you one a good bakery is a
2: start.
1: Sorry, a good bakery is always a good bakery staff, I mean. is always is at
0: number one <laughs> at the top of the list. And yeah. playgrounds, interesting playgrounds, come, is that right? come okay. out number two as well. But then the great story I know is the town of Holbrook, which is on Highway 1 between Albury, Wodonga and Canberra. It didn't have to worry about people yep. stopping in their shops because Highway 1 went straight yep. through the centre. Then the government decided to bypass them. Suddenly they are not on Highway 1 and that eighty to 100,000 cars a day ain't coming through. How do you yep. get people off? I'll never forget the meeting. People said, it's our name. We've got to build around Holbrook. I said, Mm. what do you mean? Holbrook sauce? No, no, no. Holbrook. In 1915, at the height of the Dardanelles, in the middle of the greatest patriotic war, we were called Germantown. We decided that wasn't good enough, and so we looked at the daily newspaper, and there's a guy, Commander Holbrook, wins a VC for going under the nets at the Dardanelles and blowing up a Turkish ship. So we write to him, despite the fact he was a Brit, not even an Australian, said, can we name our town after you? Right. And so they changed the name from German Town to Holbrook. Good move. Fast forward to 55, he turns up in the town and says, I'm Commander Holbrook, i love you to meet my new German wife, um, and the two of them become attached to the town, they donate their VC medal and everything, create an opportunity for a Holbrook kid to go to university every year. They build a little replica. Fast forward to 1995, when they suddenly are faced with uh, the highway bypass and they decide they truly want to become the submarine town. And they end up buying a 2nd Oberon submarine as their town entrance, 130 <laughs> metres, um, and truly promoting themselves. Mm. as this. And so you're driving this town and it's this amazing town entrance mm. that is worth the drive off, and they've certainly done the, the signage on the highway to get people uh, off it. They've kept building on that. Uh, three years ago was the famous 50th anniversary of um, of the Yellow Submarine. What did they do? They asked people all over the world to send in yellow uh, yarn, and they yarn bomb this submarine. It generated over 400 press yeah. stories. Greatest story of a town in what we call a life after a bypass approach. Yep. Thinking yep. outside the box.
1: Okay. So there's still some merit in getting a big something. Pineapple, sheep, submarine, whatever it may be. something <laughs> different that will bring people in.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's often getting outside the box. In fact, yep. getting rid of the box. Yeah. yeah.
1: Okay. Um, just lastly, technology. We mentioned it very briefly uh, earlier in the in this chat. Um are you? I mean, are you on Facebook? Are you on Instagram? Do you see merits in these technologies that have been blamed uh, so often for the not causing, but certainly. Um hastening the, the demise of that sense of community and, yeah. and, and personal relationships.
0: Yeah. Um, as an organisation we're in all of those ones yep. and, and uh, other staff, particularly younger staff, look after all that stuff. Yep. I yep. Find, uh, Do you find to, that world scary? Do you uh, hate not, it? Not at all. I, I can see the value of it. I can see the danger of it where people now live in another yep. world that's yep. not real and as I said, where they want friends but don't have friends and mm. all that type of stuff but I can also see great value in the way yep. it can connect people and over and over the local Facebook site has been a way of getting getting people. Yep. And one of the things we're on about share with us what you care about and who else cares about that. And a great way to do is discover it. Yep. My final story, Ray, old bugger, lonely, person delivering his meals and wheels said, Ray, what do you want to do? He said, I'd love to go fishing, but all my fishing mates have died. They've taken my car license off him. She said, why don't you put a ad on Gumtree? Yeah. He had 55,000 hits for, 55, fishing, for a fishing buddy. And now <laughs> 10 guys take him in a 14-day period fishing, kind of like 10 That's out brilliant. of 14 days. That all happened because of yeah. using kind of like the power yeah. of social media. So it's not all bad. Yeah. A lot of positives. It's way we use it and how it links in. At the end of the day, what matters is this thing called connection.
1: Yep, yeah. yep. Yeah. Well, I hope your connections continue to flourish, Peter. Thank you so much for sharing some of your insights with us today. Really appreciate it.
0: Thank you, Tim, and thanks for the job you're doing. I love anyone who is wanting to promote good stories around our communities.
1: We do our best. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Inspiring Stories here on 882 6PR. Everyone has a story to tell. This one brought to you by Bower and O'Day. We look forward to you joining
2: us again next time as we unearth another WA inspiring story. You're listening to another inspiring story brought to you by Barra and O'Day. When making the double chicken deluxe at Macca's, we wanted to improve on the perfect combo of tender Aussie chicken with cheese, tomato and aioli. So, we doubled it. Chicken and Macca's together and loving it. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Available after 10.30am for a limited time only.